from Luke chapter 7 and verse 18. And if you've got the church Bible or you want to get a church Bible, it's on page 1035. This is when John the Baptist is starting to hear rumours of what Jesus is um, kind of doing. So he gets kind of rather inquisitive. And you'd think John, of all people, would have a fair idea of knowing um, who the Messiah was going to be. But apparently John was kind of um, not quite sure. And so we kind of pick up this Bible reading as he's about to send two people off to, to ask Jesus some very important questions. So starting at verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, illnesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's good to be here with you this morning to share a little bit about what I believe God's laid on my heart. It's my desire in doing so to encourage us and challenge us on what it means to be God's people here in South Breton. David Whitlock, in the latest edition of The Companion, the little kind of booklet we get each term to tell us what's going on, recognised the sheer desire we have as a church community to be a people of vision and together to share a vision for this church, God's church here in Breton. We know there's many challenges and changes ahead of us both in terms of leadership and who we are as a church. So our reading sits within Luke's gospel, a gospel that's passionate about faith being worked out in community. And in this gospel, Dan, you want to roll on one? We had problems technology-wise, so we're back to kind of almost technology. Luke uses a series of pictures, a series of snapshots to kind of try and work out what community means in practice. They're little kind of moments captured in time. And we're going to use some of these today to see the kind of vision they present to us about being community, about being fellowship together. And to help us do that, we're going to focus on four areas. What it means to be a welcoming community, what it means to be a praying community, what it means to be a giving community, and what it means to be a community focused on Jesus. Thank you, Dan. So, our starting point is going to be that we're called to be a welcoming community. Now, this is such a powerful statement, to stand in front of someone and to say, you are welcome. Welcome to this place. We're glad that you are here. It's deeply meaningful, isn't it? It resonates what the gospel says. It starts to say to them, you are of worth as an individual. It starts to address any sense of worthlessness they might be feeling. They are welcome because they are worth 
to you. They are of worth to me. But most of all, they are of worth to God simply because of who they are. Thank you, Dan. In the first century AD, the time that Luke wrote this gospel, the rules and regulations that were imposed on the Jewish people had destroyed centuries of tradition, especially related to welcome. Ritual purity, observance of the law, the focus on the outward rather than the inwards had overwhelmed love. Interaction with people outside the kingdom of God or out the people of God were to be avoided. In Jesus' words, the people were loaded down with burdens they could hardly carry. Now, one of the main motives in Luke's Gospel and the Acts of Apostles is table fellowship. And in a series of encounters that Jesus has, Luke reveals to us what that means. That all are welcome in the kingdom of God. None are to be excluded. And so we see, thank you, Dan. Oh, we've gone too far. One back, that's it. Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors is asked, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Next one, please. Jesus in the home of the Pharisee is approached by a woman who washes his feet with her uncovered hair and anoints them with oil. An outcast anoints the king of kings. Jesus proclaims forgiveness of sins to the woman. Go in peace, he says. Your faith has saved you. Zacchaeus, that's the next one down, thank you. The tax collector who placed money before the community welcomes Jesus into his home at the suggestion of Jesus himself. Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. So we see Jesus goes where needed to proclaim the gospel. He forgives and includes. Jesus loves without boundaries. Jesus welcomes back into community those who have been cast out by the religious leaders. And again, thank you. And then probably the ultimate act of table fellowship, the Last Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, one of the greatest privileges I have at this church is to be a server at communion. And as you know, it's something that kind of rotates on an ad hoc basis. That's usually based on who David sees first through the door when he needs someone to serve at communion. But to me, it's a deep honour and a deep privilege because what it enables me to do is to witness to and to see what Luke proclaims. All are welcome. Race, colour, creed, gender, sexuality, wealth, status are all laid aside at the communion table. All are welcome. There is only one condition, to love the Lord Jesus, to believe on his name. Even then, that's not the end, because we know that Luke didn't only write Luke's gospel, he wrote the Acts of the Apostles as well. And on a rooftop in Joppa, Peter sees a vision. God has shown me, he says, that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Christianity was not to become a Jewish sect. Later, as Peter spoke to Cornelius' household, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Luke reveals then, there is no tiered entry to the kingdom of God. No priority entry, no all-access VIP passes. Just a welcome to all with full access to all that the kingdom offers. New life, a fresh start, 
a community to live within and be loved by, an opportunity to serve others. Thanks, Dan. Now, it's hard to believe, but I'm not really quick on the uptake, and Debbie would probably tell you something different, and there's probably more times that I'm not quick on the uptake than I actually admit to. And you would think by now that the, the, you know, the, the readers of Luke's Gospel would have got a fairly kind of clear idea about this welcome thing. But actually they didn't, because Luke includes within the Gospel a far more subtle message. Luke was a lover of lists, whether it was to do with being a doctor, I don't know, but he was a lover of lists. And I, I have to make a confession at this point, um, I'm not so much a lover of lists. So we go on holiday every year, we arrive with absolutely everything we need, the car manages to pack itself in the right order, it's fantastic. I go away on my own, and I will arrive with my toothbrush, but without my toothpaste. I might or might not have a nightshirt, and I might or might not have a razor. It has been known that Debbie does ask me, as I'm going out the door, whether I've got all the things I need. So what that proves is that in our house, Debbie is the um, uh, kind of list holder and the master of the lists and there's probably a lot of husbands at this point might just be hanging their heads thinking yep that's the same in our household but lists can be really really positive they enable you to collect all the things that you need but actually they can be really really negative as well so why does Luke use lists in his gospel and how does he use them well he did this because at the time of Jesus Jews born into the priestly tribe couldn't serve as a priest if they were a woman or if they were born with a physical defect, or poor. There was a list of exceptions. If you wanted to join the Qumran community, the, the strict Jewish sect, the Essenes, you could only join if you were a Jew, and you'd lived a right, righteous life, and you did not have a physical defect that included lameness, blindness, being maimed, being deaf, or being dumb. Again, there was a list of exceptions. So although your birthright gave you every entitlement, a list excluded you. Jesus overturns this. All may freely receive the grace of God. All may enter the kingdom of God. There are no exceptions. There is no list that exists that can exclude you from the kingdom of God. So we see. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim prisoner, freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And the next one, and there you start to see those key things identified as exclusions from Jewish groups being included as people who can come into the kingdom of God. And the last one, please. Thank you. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Thank you, Dan. Next one. Luke emphasizes the message of Jesus. All can be saved, all can enter the kingdom. It's a message of radical inclusion, and it shook the religious leaders of the day to the core. Thank you, Dan. So here's the challenge, friends, the first challenge. Do we welcome all? And I don't just mean say hello to them on the door. Is this a welcoming community? Do we include all and exclude none? Are we generous and persistent in our welcome? Through our organisation of our worship, through our connect groups, the activities we undertake, do we consistently, repeatedly, persistently welcome all, to include all who would come into this place? Through our welcome, do people see Jesus? Do you know what I love about this image? 
Acts, it's not really clear who's welcoming who. And that's really important, isn't it? Reverend Daniel Beckett's safeguarding training last, in the last few weeks made a really important point. In today's society, it's only the church who seeks to include all and welcome all and minister to all, irrespective of their background, irrespective of anything about them. As Christians, we're called to a different way, to welcome wholeheartedly with love, just as Jesus demonstrates in Luke's gospel. So we're called to be a welcoming community, a community open to all, and we're also called to be a praying community. I, like many, will have been deeply touched by this phrase in Luke's gospel. Some of you, if you've got a different translation, will use the word boldness, but the revised NIV uses the phrase shameless audacity. So what does it mean to pray with shameless audacity? Luke reveals much about prayer in his gospel. He talks about Jesus' prayer life. He talks about Jesus' teaching on prayer. But Luke has another interest in prayer, and it's particularly rooted in how it affects the role of us as disciples in the life and mission of the church. For Luke, we put God's purpose into action through a process of prayerful discernment. Through prayer, Jesus is revealed to us and to others. Through prayer, we have the strength to respond to the grace of God. So what does it mean to pray with shameless audacity? Thank you, Dan. I could have written rather a lot about this. In fact, I think there's probably a few sermons just in this one phrase. But here are three simple images. The first is what I've called the most shamelessly audacious prayer. The image is the Pharisee standing before God, thanking God for his righteousness. The publican at a distance, beating his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, there will not have been a major God of work that did not start with a woman or a man on their knees before God, praying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, forgive me for the things that I have done wrong. We're called by God to be a people of repentance to ask forgiveness for our sins, and not just once, but over and over and over again. If we truly want God to move in this church, in our lives, Luke suggests there's only one place to start, and that's on our knees, praying the most shamelessly audacious prayer of all. A God who owes us nothing, who gave us everything on the cross. The Welsh Revival of 1904 saw 100,000 people become Christians in a matter of months. Something else, isn't it? At the heart of the revival, a young female preacher, 21 years old, Miss Olwyn Davis, spoke directly to her listeners on Acts chapter 2. Their hearts must be clear in the sight of God, she said of the new disciples. They must forgive everyone. They must obey the Spirit of God implicitly. They must trust God implicitly. Now, there's two other pictures I want us to reflect on, and both happened in the same place in the same time. Simeon is waiting in the temple with a promise that he would not die without seeing the coming Messiah. Now, this is not just pure physical waiting. And if you're like me who hates waiting for anything, waiting can be a really challenging thing. But this is waiting on God. 
and God would call us to wait on him with spiritual eyes so we can watch for his coming and see how he moves. We need the Holy Spirit to make our spiritual eyes sensitive to him. Now, here's a question. Was Simeon waiting for a baby? Now, I don't think Simeon was waiting for a baby. He'd had a promise, a promise that said that he would not die without seeing the Messiah. So what he did is he put himself in the place where the Bible told him the Messiah was going to appear, and that was the temple. But at the same time, he both watched and waited with spiritual eyes. So when that baby, in his mother's arms, arrived in that church, there was Simeon, watching and waiting. So we need to recognize our needs of individuals and as a church for the Holy Spirit to speak, to be recognized and to be heard. So we should watch and wait. Our prayer time should build into them space for God to speak and to move. We need to become a people who watch and wait. And again, thank you very much, Dan. Now, in the same place at the same time, miraculously, was another person, Anna. And we see that Anna listens to God, prays and fasts. And in this, God reminds us that as a praying community, we're also called to listen, not just to watch and wait, but to listen. And that's a real challenge for us, isn't it? We live in a noise-filled modern life. Stillness and quiet within worship has become less common. We jump to fill spaces of silence with noise because we're uncomfortable about them. So let's shape our personal and private worship, not only to watch and to wait, but to listen to God. Let's build regular time into our services, into our connect groups, into our prayer ministry for silence. Next one, please, Dan kind of makes the point better than I could say. And then again, thank you, Dan. A gentle reminder to myself, in committing to listen to God, we shouldn't forget to listen to each other and those who enter this building in profound need and need to hear the voice of comfort, of reason, and of hope. And it's that last sentence that deeply resonates with me. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. Because friends, we all know, don't we, it's only God who can truly transform lives. So we're called to be a welcoming community, a praying community. We're also called to be a giving community. I love this picture. So the title on this picture on the website said this, this is what happens when you bring together more than 300 children and parents from 14 school communities on a Sunday morning to do random acts of kindness. They create care kits for the homeless, make superhero capes for sick children, beautify local parks, and much, much more. Isn't that amazing? It would be fantastic if that happened in Peterborough with 13 or 14 of our local schools. Maybe it's a challenge for someone sitting here to kind of pick that up and run with that. But we have to be honest, don't we? So sometimes our giving isn't as inspired. Giving's much more than money. It's not just money. It's about time and energy and all of those things. But if I'm honest, thank you, Dan, I can be very self-centered at times. I've always wanted to get Snoopy into a sermon. I've managed to get Snoopy into a sermon. But I can find giving really challenging, especially when work's busy, hard. Sometimes it's in my line of work is even distressing. 
But there's been days when I've been preparing this sermon where the words from Luke's gospel and the words that Jesus speaks are like a piece of grit in my eye I can't quite get rid of. The reason is Luke's vision of salvation, of prayer and of giving is all worked out through community. To Luke, community matters. Sharing and giving is, to Luke, embedded in social relationships. And that challenges my individualism, my self-centeredness. And at times it can make me deeply uncomfortable. Thank you, Dan. You see, there was a problem in Jewish society that Luke was trying to face down. It was governed by patronage. You gave to get something back. Have you ever kind of heard that before recently? The National Lottery is a good example, isn't it? Give to charity and you might get something back. But patronage was a big thing for the Jewish people. You gave to gain influence. You gave to be protected. You gave to get a privilege. Refusing to give without expectation of return said, you are not part of my family. You are not part of my community. In contrast, for the Jews in the first century to give without expectation of return was to treat people as if they were family. So Luke's gospel is not a gospel where personal salvation is the only response. When John asks Jesus, is he the Messiah? Jesus replies, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Those things were a present reality, not a future hope. They were happening then. They are all in the present tense. So you see in our reading and in other readings in Luke, Jesus places the proclamation of good news to the poor at the heart of his purpose as Messiah. Salvation raises up the lowly and fills the hungry with good things. To give to the poor is not, in Luke's eyes, charity or missionary giving. It signifies a social relationship with the poor, the lame, the marginalized, the disadvantaged. When Jesus says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus's action lives that out in practice. By giving back all that he had taken and more, he was saying to his community, I recognize that I am now part of your community once again. I belong to you as a family. I am part of the kingdom of God. I give to you without expectation of return. So friends, let us be a community that is known for giving without expectation of return. A community that gives as we would to our families. I don't underestimate the challenge in that. But to me, the call of the gospel, the gospel of Luke, is clear. Thanks, Dan. Now, Luke, as we've said, is full of beautiful pictures. And here's another one. And this one relates to our giving. The widow in Luke 21, with her tiny, tiny, tiny coin. And those are actually the mites, the tiniest currency that could be used, gave out of her poverty, not out of her riches. And there's an application here that goes beyond the purely financial. As a community, God calls us to give out of our poverty, out of our weaknesses, 
as well as out of our strengths. There is much, isn't there, to be done here in the service of the kingdom. And like all churches, from time to time, we struggle to find people to do the things that we believe God is calling us to do. I am very good, I'm well practiced at talking myself out of things that I could do to support this church. My usual go-to excuse is that I'm not gifted. I don't have the skills to do that. I don't have the ability to do it. Now, I tried to use that argument with Ed three and a half years ago when he asked me to be a, a kind of befriender to Ian Atkinson, who's one of the Hope Interaction tenants. And ultimately, I ran out of excuses. And three and a half years later, I have been blessed far more than Ian has been blessed by my um, involvement and the occasional sausage sandwich. I had the privilege last week of listening to the Reverend Andy Croft talk about the inception of Soul Survivor. Andy's one of the two leaders, along with Mike Pilavacci. And he reflected on the story in the Book of Kings about the widow who was given the jar of oil that just kept refilling and replenishing. And in the context of that first four or five years of the inception of Soul Survivor, when they were running by the seat of their pants, he said this. We're called to give out and keep giving in the service of God. And as we give out, God refills what we've given. Now, I'm conscious that in a church setting, we can sometimes overutilize people and people get burnt out. That's not advocating we just run until we burn out. But what it's saying is, is if we all run together, actually, there is capacity there. God refills, rebuilds renews. Thank you. You may spend most of your time in church comparing yourself with others, thinking, I couldn't do that, I'm not good enough. Oh, she'd have much better skills than me for doing that. She has far more giftings in that area. But Luke stands really clearly against that narrative. The gospel, he says, is for all. Membership of the kingdom of God is for everyone. And if you can be part of the kingdom of God, then God can use you, a disciple within a community of disciples, to share his good news, to reveal to others Jesus Christ. You don't have to do great things, although God might well do great things through you. All you have to do to start with is to do small things, as Mother Teresa says, with great love. Andy Croft again, reflecting on the loneliness that cripples a lot of our young people today the insecurity, the low self-esteem, the doubt, suggests that above all, the thing that the church, that you, that me, because we are the church, can give our teenagers, and I would add at this point our older folk, all of us in fact, is love. Peter and John came across a crippled man at the beautiful gate at the temple in Jerusalem. He was begging for money. Silver and gold have I none, said Peter, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. What little you have, if it's freely given to God, will be used in amazing ways. What I have, I give unto you. Thank you, Dan. So in conclusion, we're called to be a welcoming community, a praying community, a giving community, a community focused on Jesus Christ. Disciples living out their faith within a community of disciples. In writing this gospel 
and the Acts of the Apostle Luke presents the church as a living community of faith, recipients of the grace of God and accountable for each other and to each other. Luke's gospel, as we've shared, stands as an antidote to individualism. Thank you, Dan. It promotes faith, works out through community. It recognizes that together we will find ourselves in places we could never have imagined we would be because of the call of God, because of the prayers of our community and its self-giving. And if you're like me, that will both scare you and excite you in equal measure. Just before the summer holidays, I, along with a lot of you here, had the privilege of listening to Rachel Coombe thank the church for the way it cared for, loved and nurtured her and Josh and Miriam and Beth over the past 25 years. Friends, community matters. And through Rachel's words, we saw a church who is a welcoming community, a praying community, a giving community, the people of God living out God's love as articulated through Luke's gospel. But see, here's the thing. It isn't just Rachel, is it? When I look out at you today, I see many more in this fellowship whose testimony would be exactly the same. This is the reality of the church here in Breton. So the question is, are you up for the challenge? The challenge that God has laid before us to be a welcoming, praying, giving community focused on Jesus, prepared to watch and listen, to give generously and to welcome all, to go where he calls, and if someone stops you in the street and asks you why you attend Breton Baptist Church, or why they should come here and be part of the fellowship, maybe, just maybe, you have an answer. Because this is a place where community matters, where the kingdom of God is lived and worked out in prayer, in giving, and in the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us, redeemed us, and calls us his people. Amen. Richard's going to come and uh, lead us in a time of worship. There is an opportunity with this time of worship, if you so wish, to respond in any way you see fit. I won't say by coming to the front or by sitting where you are, but it's a time just for us to spend time with God, to be with God and allow him to work and to move. I'm here at the front. There'll be other people at the front if you do want to come forward for prayer. But if you don't, there's someone next to you who can pray for you where you are. or you're very welcome just to sit where you are, to stand, or to sit as we worship together. And I can hear your voice, your purpose is my 
choice as natural as a breath. The love I knew before when you first touched my life. I need you to Some deeper place to find, some secret place to hide. 